Get ready, it's time. Motherhood Talk Radio, starring Sandra Beck, is the most powerful voice in women's issues today. As the owner of Motherhood Incorporated, Sandra brings you inspiring, influential, and interesting resources to help you navigate everything from childcare to corporate formation. Each episode of Motherhood Talk Radio features guests who all have a story, experts in their field, and information you won't want to miss. We bring you everything from the latest crafting tips to how to be sexy in your 40s. From great parenting tips to moms facing some tough challenges, and most importantly, how to bounce back with style. Motherhood Talk Radio helps you make a difference in your world and the world around us. Being all you can be starts right here, right now. Let's do it. Here's your host, Sandra Beck. everybody. This is Sandra Beck and I'm so excited today because we're going to be talking about one of my favorite topics, which is handling seniors in your home, in your business, in your car, in your line. Today at school, we had a grandpa who dropped his daughter off for the second day of school and then he fell asleep in the drop-off lane and everybody thought he was dead. And so The school people came out and thank God it wasn't something where, you know, they thought it was like a bomb driver driving up, but you know, he fell asleep and these things happen. And this is, this is what it's like having a senior, you know, in your midst and it's fun. It's funny. It's tear jerking and it's difficult. And so that's why I brought on today two great ladies. I'm going to have you guys introduce yourself, talk about your books. This is our second show. You can check back with earlier shows um, to get our earlier show on this topic. But these ladies know where it's at and they're here to help us. So my name is Amanda Lambert. I'm a geriatric care manager, and Leslie and I are co-authors of the book, Aging with Care, Your Guide to Hiring and Managing Caregivers at Home. And we are delighted to be back, Sandra. Yes. This is Leslie Eckford, and I am so glad to be chatting with you today because it's always such a whirlwind of ideas, but people can really get a lot of good information and support through listening to this. Well, and I think a lot of us, by the time we get to asking for support, I know this is like when I reached out to you, you know, about a second show and about talking about topics, it's because you're kind of like up to here and I'm like literally putting my hand at my chin or my forehead, like, you know, especially we as family caregivers and family, you know, leaders, we just shuffle and we take and we fix and we care and we grow. And then it's like that frog and the bucket of, you know, the pot of water and the heat keeps turning up and turning up. And all of a sudden you look around, you got three rescued dogs, two teenagers, no child support, and, you know, a geriatric watching Matlock in your living room. And you kind of go, how did this happen? And you start functioning at this super high level and you don't pause to ask for help or to talk about some of the issues we're going to talk about today. So we're here to give you guys that heads up because it can happen. It will happen or might happen. And then you're at least not caught unaware. Right. Right. And I think you just brought up something really interesting to me. And that is that at a certain point, you, this is just sort of happened like a plant growing up out of the, the rocks and suddenly you have this situation or in very, it's almost kind of rare these days, people just suddenly realize they're going to have to do something and they're trying to figure it out. And uh, one of the things that we talked about before is how you've got, especially in a multi-generation situation, like you're having your kids, yourself, your father all under one roof, who gets to be the adult? Right. It's a hard, it's, it sounds very simple on the surface, but it's not. Mm-hmm. And it changes every day. Like, that's the thing. It's like, you know, aging isn't an, a finite, measurable condition <clears throat> that you can count on every day. 
So you have good days and bad days. You have high-functioning days and low-functioning days. And there are days when an elderly person can resemble a cranky toddler or they can sit down and help your kid do your calculus homework and remember formulas from 50 years ago. I mean, it's really magnificent. Mm -hmm. And your situation is, is not... It's not that it's not unique, but then there are lots of situations where family members are completely out of the state. Right. And, you know, dealing with an aging parent, and of course, Leslie can speak, she has a lot of personal experience with that, but that's a whole different perspective, you know, where people are kind of getting little snapshots of what is going on, but they don't have the whole picture. And so they think, well, how... What is really going on? What what what's happening with mom or dad? Am I am I really picking up that they're that impaired or or you know, when it ebbs and flows and when you talk about mood, one time they're in a great mood and then another time they're cranky and angry and resentful and defensive. And so yeah, I think they're both situations are are, are different but similar. Absolutely. And here's kind of what they look like. You can call an elderly family member on day one and they'll say, Oh, you know. Jack called me today and we talked about the airplanes and this thing. And I learned about the Japanese in 1942. Happy, happy, happy. Then you can call them two days later. I don't know. I don't know how much longer I'm going to be here. All my friends are dead. Even my plant died. And they canceled Matlock. (laughs) 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 It's that extreme. And You know, it's hard to know when to ride through those calls or when to take action, Mm -hmm. especially long distance. Exactly. And I think the thing, you know, for me as a therapist that always intrigues me and I know is just under the surface is the dynamic that we have of being an adult child of someone that we generally most of the time, respect and admire. And we are really aware of that boundary that we need to treat them with respect. But suddenly, we're put in a situation where decisions have to be made. And that parent of ours that has been there for us as a parent is not making the decisions that we would expect them to. And it's really tricky territory emotionally for us to reach over that boundary and make decisions. It's not comfortable for most people that we've met. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say that that's very true. And I think for a lot of the families that I work with, many families want to be the bull in the China closet. They want to just come in, make decisions, tell mom or dad what to do. And you know, you you can't really do that. I mean, you can do it, but it can damage your relationship. And you're not going to get a good result. And you're not going to get a good result. Exactly. You're not going to achieve what you wanted to achieve to start with. No. So, and, and plus, you know, people have the right to make bad decisions, right? They do. I mean, they can, they can make unsafe decisions. Um, They can make decisions that you may think are crazy or foolish, but in the end, you can do what you can to communicate, be, um, be honest, be transparent. But in the end, people can do what they want. Right. I think that that's really hard for people to hear. Well, it is really, and it is like, you know, there's, there's a catch 22 with all these things, because <clears throat> I'm going to give you two scenarios, money and driving. Because if you give all the money away, I'm the one supporting you as the child. If you get behind the wheel of a car, and you injure yourself or others, or I'm in the car with you, now it becomes my problem. And this is where I think that gray area um, exists because what is your problem and what is my problem? And there's a commingling of these scenarios. Like for example, recently I took the keys from my dad and I said, I'm driving. And he's like, why? And I just said, I'm driving. And I opened the door to the back seat and I tucked him in there. No argument, no discussion. The kids got in. Now, in the reality of it was I could tell my father was overwrought, overtired, over whatever. And it had nothing to do with his age. Leslie or Amanda, if I thought you had a headache or maybe had too much to drink last night or whatever, I would have no problem taking the keys away. 
but we get all weird when it's our parent and it's, it's a judgment call. But in this case, my safety, the safety of the children are better in my hands when my father is not at his best. Now, what happens when he's alone? Do I give him the keys back? Right. What about the safety of everybody else on the road? Now, he's lived 85 years without ever having a car accident. So, you know, these are all the things that go into taking away rights and privileges. And then with the money thing, I found it best to let my dad do controlled spending. Because I do think as people age, they want to give to their family, their friends, their things. So we put a cap on, dad, you're welcome to give anybody who you want to or asks for help because you know family members do come to the elderly all the time like bank of old people just <laughs> put their money out i mean you laugh but there's a truth I, uh, story. we know you know so okay dad you can spend you can you can give fifty dollars you can give fifty dollars to you know saint jude's when you see those commercials you can get fifty dollars you know, to the neighbor's kid who tells you he needs it for college or to bail his sister out of jail, which is the other one. <laughs> but, you know, these are real life scenarios. So yeah. what do you do? Well, um, I, I could speak to either, but I'm, I want to tell you my uh, driving story. Yeah. Um, my father passed away a few years ago and I think, uh, like your dad, he was an old military guy and he developed Parkinson's. And so that had some consequences for his mobility. And the one thing that he still felt really good about was driving. However, uh, there was evidence, shall we say, on the outside of his car, (laughs) on the outside of my mother's car, that he hadn't quite negotiated some turns very well. So when I brought it up, he absolutely shut me out. And I was sneaky enough and finagled for him to have a driving test with a medical facility driving test, and they uh, discontinued his license. And my father, and I am a long-distance daughter, would not speak to me for almost two years. Now, he would say hello on the phone, and then he'd say, here's your mother, and he'd hand her the phone. Or if I was in town visiting, he would give me a sort of cursory greeting and move on. And he talked a friend of his into going to, driving him to three different DMVs in his state until finally someone gave him his license back. They did get it back? They did, even though uh, I had been assured that that wasn't going to be possible. And so then he drove after that? Yes. You know, the amazing thing is, is that you got him to take the test. Because what I have found is that people will refuse to take the test because they're afraid they'll fail. Right. And then they'll lose their license. Because in, and I think it varies state to state, In, in Utah, you can take the written test as many times as you can pay for it. But the driving test, you can fail twice. If you fail it twice, then you have to go to driving school. But talking people into taking the test is the hard part because they know. They know they're probably Mm -hmm. going to fail and they don't want to lose their license. So I'm... Well, it goes to changes in judgment. Right. People who you... I, I loved and admire my dad and his intelligence and his ability to make good decisions until then. And it, Sandra, it's almost like you're in a weird nightmare. Yes. Like this person isn't acting like the person that you know. Mm-hmm. But they're not. They're not. They're They've not. changed. Yeah, they have changed. And that is a really, really hard realization to come to. And it, and when you think about that change, what is the nature of that change? When you talk about judgment, it's almost as if people, some people lose like an insight mm-hmm. into their own lack of judgment or their own um, decline or disability. Mm-hmm. It, and it happens to so many people. Oh, but look at how good fear is at blinding us. 
Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's a great point. Fear and emotion, like that's what I see, you know, caring for my dad, you know, for whatever, seven years now, eight years. Fear will either get him to surrender 100% to me or fight me to the death. Mm. Right. There's really no in between. So if I say I'm just going to drive today, I can get the keys. If I'm going to say you can never drive again, two whole different scenarios. Because when you take privilege away or rights away or keys away, it's an actual physical manifestation of what's coming. It's like when my mom had breast cancer, she was dealing with it. She dealt with it great. Trust me. Like even till her death, she was always saying, look, I lived my life. I feel sorry for the young ladies in the chemo center that are, haven't had their kids, haven't had marriages. You know, they're just babies and I've had my whole life. So she was amazing. But the change in her that I saw from the warrior mom to bald and scarred mom she couldn't look in the mirror with both her breasts gone. She couldn't look in the mirror. And my older brother had testicular cancer and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, leukemia, something like that, I forget. But he was another one, college athlete, got sick. But when his hair was gone, he could look in that mirror. There is no denying yeah. it. And you can deny it as long as you have keys. Right. You don't even have to drive. That is so true. You know, because I thought about giving my dad a different set of keys, because <laughs> like, I'm always driving. So here's your keys. Oh, gee, your key doesn't work. How did that happen? I mean, because it's denial. It is denial. Absolutely. I think. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree. In fact, you could have, at the same time that my father was so angry at me for taking his driving privileges away from him you could have asked him about his own mother and when she uh, went in reverse all the way down a road (laughs) and smashed her beautiful old 1950 something Plymouth, my dad would laugh and say, yeah, I took the spark plugs out of her car and I talked to the mechanic down the road and we were in cahoots and we were all in agreement. She wasn't driving anymore. It was not an issue for him to make that decision for his mother but he could not see himself so in that situation. I have a question, Leslie. Did you see that coming, the two years of not communicating? No, no. I knew he would be mad. I mean, yeah. you know, I knew that. <laughs> you didn't realize how but mad. But I did not know how mad. And, and it, it was very hard for me. And in fact, other, I have a cousin who came over one time, and he, he was very close to my dad, and he said, Leslie, your dad hardly talked to you. And I said, well, that's because of his license. He was like, you're kidding. <laughs> you know, well, and it sounds like he dumped all of his anger, frustration at aging on you. You are an available target. I don't think it really had much to do with you. Right. Because right. it's an unreasonable, two years is unreasonable. Yeah. Like and, you, and he got his license back. He did. But then uh, for whatever reasons, just the way his, uh, illness was progressing. He physically, what we could say was, oh, you're going to drive? Okay, we'll see you after you get in the car. Because he could not get in the car by himself. At right, that so right. So there's some divine intervention. Yeah. yeah. Him. But you know, your, your story, Leslie, with what happened with your dad is the main reason that families don't go what I call nuclear. They don't turn mom or dad into the DMV mm-hmm. and, they, and then they require that you come down and take the driving test because they know it can. They're ruin, scared too. They're scared. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They're very do scared. You have to, let me ask you, and I know every state is different, but do you have to identify yourself to turn in someone to the DMV? I don't think you do in this state. In, but, in this state, but in other states, you might have to have a doctor. Right. Might have it have to have a doctor. But I mean, if you right. walked and into d- the DMV and said, "My dad's eighty nine; he shouldn't be driving. What can I do?" I think you could call the police and let them know. And if you were a squeaky wheel and made a numerous reports, they might go and pursue it. But I don't know. You know, it's and it is very different um, from state to state. And even we've had experiences in the past where doctors don't want to get involved. Yeah. 
exactly. And I don't, and I think most people are smart enough to know who turned them in. Right, I mean, sure. it's not, right. it's know, not rocket science, especially, right. Especially after there've been these numerous conversations with family members about the fact that you shouldn't be driving, yeah, but not see, because we're so much worried about you, but because we're worried about you hitting a small child or, you know, well, like the guy in I, Santa Monica that had a stroke. Yes. And that was and all those such people. a tragedy. Like you live your whole life and then your final exit, you know, dance is killing a bunch of people. Like nobody wants that. You know, I think that Amanda and I also have heard so many horror stories like that, that that is also part of what motivated me. I probably knew much more of what awful things could happen. Um, for example, you know, just in our circle of friends, we have a friend whose parents were in a very rural area. Um, they had a head-on collision. The other driver died. The other driver was a childhood friend of theirs. And oh, that it, it was oh. such a horrible situation. I have a friend from another country whose uh, father also killed someone in a motor vehicle accident. And I know someone who was very dear to me who um, was driving to do an errand at a strip mall and she was parking in front of a store and thought she was in park and drove right through the window. Oh, yeah. You hear that all the time on the news. And this ties in with what you were talking about with money, because no one died in that situation, but there were people in the store who were injured, and there were lawsuits, and it was really very terrifying because these were elderly people who needed that money, obviously, to... For them to uh, to survive, you know, which brings up the point. I have a client who asked me, "Am I the son of a of his father who definitely should not be driving, but he won't take the driving test because he knows he'll fail it?" He says, "Am I responsible?" The son wants to know, "Am I legally liable?" Because you have prior knowledge. You have prior knowledge, exactly. And I, you know, I don't know the answer to that, but it's a legitimate question. Well, I I think it's up to the lawyers. You know. You know, because you look at things, you know, like, you know, you have kids and, you know, in a divorce, you know, your kid gets in a car accident, who's liable? Yeah. The ex-husband exactly. gives the kid the car, the kid gets in an accident, the mom's worth a bunch of dough. You know, they're going to come after me whether they're right or wrong. That's right. right. That's exactly. exactly right. And well, those you know- people who are injured in the coffee house have a right to claim some money for their pain and suffering. Like right, yes. everybody right. loses. Like there, yeah. maybe the attorneys win or maybe the medical industry wins, but there's really no winning. And who wants to go out the rest of their life carrying such a tremendous burden? Well, I was saying to Amanda before uh, we were talking with you that 10 years ago when this was happening for me and my dad, we did not have Uber. Mm, right. I really think training people mm-hmm. to do that, to take Uber lifts, uh, is part of the solution. And um, I, you know, I've seen people do it like maybe they, it's temporary, like after they've had knee surgery and, uh, you know, they have to go to PT appointments, they'll take Uber. And I think any time any adult child has an opportunity to talk about it, and it's sort of like what we talk about with advanced directive conversations with parents, it's like, please try to have these conversations before you're in a critical situation. Can you just talk about this after, well, not after Thanksgiving dinner, but, you know, (laughs) maybe sometimes where it's really more neutral mm-hmm. or you bring up, Oh, you know, your friend, um, Mrs. Larson or whoever had this accident. What do you think about that? What would you want us to do if you were in that situation? Yeah. I think Leslie is so right that you have to have solutions before you, you know, enter into that conversation. I mean, you have to have ways of helping people figure out how they're going to at least maintain some sort of independence, which is what this is all about. Well, and that's where you get into math, which is my least favorite subject. But (laughs) 
Oh, mine too. You That's really funny. <laughs> you look at the cost of operating a car, it's like what, 55 cents a mile, something like that. But if you add up what the person is paying each year in insurance, for car insurance, for a car payment, for repairs and all this stuff, and you divide it out, it can be like a couple hundred dollars a month. So big deal, call an Uber. Right. Yes. You know, give them or a, a lift. I mean, there's a whole bunch of different things. At $250 a month, at least out here, you can hire somebody to drive you and pick you up and take you and coordinate with you. You know, so yeah. I think a lot of it is in the presentation too, where you just have to say, look, dad, I'm sorry. I am taking the keys and you can be as mad at me as you want, but you're not going to be stuck in the house. Here's my solution. You know, here's the phone number. Here's the Uber driver. It charges right to my card or, you know, if they're cell phone friendly, you know, my dad has Lyft and Uber on his phone. Cause and I and and also frame it into the thing. What do you think people do in cities? What do you think people do when their car breaks down? What do you think people do, you know, when they're visiting places? They rent a car. It's not some big catastrophic thing that's conspiring against you for aging, but here's the thing. You can't drive anymore. And I'm really sorry for you, but here's your alternative. You're still free. And economically, 20 Uber rides a month is still less than you're paying for your car. Yeah. Right. And they can be here in five or 10 minutes. I mean, this is where I feel in dealing with people, you have to come armed with knowledge and solution. You know, when I ran a company and I worked for some big companies like Disney, CBS, IBM, all of my bosses said to me, never come to me with a problem unless you have some solution. And if there's no solution, Go back and find it. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, you know, many older people do struggle with the technology sure. for Uber and Lyft, but there are some uh, intermediaries yep. that you can call and just say, this is where I want to go. And so they are the ones who call Uber wow. and Lyft. We have that here um, because it's just a struggle for some people to, to use the technology. So sure. they take a small percentage, but it's so worth it because mm -hmm. it's just like calling your neighbor and saying, or calling your child and saying, this is where I need to go and this is the time. And then when you're done, you call and say, I'm ready to be picked up. And so it's pretty seamless. Yeah, and if you're in touch with your parent and they need to go somewhere, you know, it's not the end of the world for them to call you, pop that Uber in on your phone or the Lyft. I mean, I had it in New York City. My one friend is like, look, you're a single mom, you're traveling, you're doing all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm like, look, I got to go. I got I'm taking the train to JFK. And she goes, oh, no, you're not. She goes, there is an, a Lyft or an Uber, I forget which one, waiting for you downstairs to take you to the airport. My gift, uh, love you. Yeah, so you yeah, you can do it for another person. Yes. Yeah. 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 And this was a friend of mine in Arizona. I live Aww. in California and I'm traveling and she knows I'm cheap and I always take the subway <laughs> and I, you know, drag my suitcase along, you know, on the LIE and, and, you know, or the Long Island Railroad. And she's like, I want to do this for you. And we were texting in communication. She knew exactly where I was. She's like, no, I already called you on. Oh, and I went nice. down the elevator, got in the car, went, you know, right to the airport, easy peasy. And the driver wouldn't even let me tip him. He's like, nope, it's already taken care of. Oh, that's nice. great. That's great. Yeah. So you can do this for your parents, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And it, it requires that education piece. Yeah. Because it's, you know, it it's something maybe they've heard of, but they don't have a comfort level with it yet. But it just takes practice and we can support them. I think, it, I, I hope that it really revolutionizes this topic for people. Um, and of course, there are people who can't afford it, who can't right. do it. And Amanda and I are very familiar with all kinds of senior transportation. Um, you but know, truly, if you can't afford it, you can't afford your own car. I mean, right, that, your right. own car is a luxury. Good point. Good point. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, I can remember a fellow who had moved to Salt Lake City to live with um, an adult son after uh, his wife died. And he was from a very big city. And people who moved to Salt Lake, even though we think of it as sort of a big city, they were like, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. But he had come there and he did not have any money. And he took senior transportation, which many people will know that means you're sort of on a 
a small van or bus and you get picked up in an order that is not always to your choosing and you get dropped off and picked up and there's a lot of waiting. Which is a great opportunity to make new friends. Exactly. And this fellow told us that he just, he was starting to understand which streets came along next. He got, he said, this gives me a way of knowing where I am. Whereas before I was just sitting in the house. Right. And, you know, not, and, and he liked seeing people and people watching. Um, So, you know, it's, it, it, it takes some adjustment and transition, but it's so useful to people. Well, and everybody knows when you care for someone in your home, whether they're a little kid or an elderly person, the longer they stay in the house, the worse it is for their mental health. So to send an Uber over and say, hey, mom, I'm going to send an Uber over and you're going to go to the mall today and then we'll pick you up in two hours and, you know, um, have fun. And there are, it's important to point out too, um, excuse me, there are some Uber or Lyfts that can accommodate people who have wheelchairs or walkers. Yep. Um, So that that should not be a barrier either. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, the whole thing is, is to ask and to, I think it's to stay positive about the changes. Cause I recently had to have the conversation with my dad. We're moving him from downstairs, from upstairs to downstairs. I don't want to deal with the stairs anymore. I don't want him tripping and falling down the stairs. I don't want the, I don't want any of it. Now I, that means I have to clean out my downstairs office, move my stuff upstairs and so I handled it a really simple way. And I said, you know what, dad, we're moving the bedrooms around. Um, Zachy's going to do this for his room. I'm going to do this for my room. I'm going to put you in the downstairs bedroom. I'm going to take the upstairs bedroom and Max is going to use it for his study room. And it was all this. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, and I didn't say, can we? I didn't ask his opinion because these are all landmines. Dad, right. what do you think? Okay, I just got shot by an AK-47. Hey, <laughs> boom, I shunk your battleship. Like, you know, some of this stuff is, is, is opening the conversation because you have to know your parent. If I told my mom, this is what you have to do, she's going to want to talk about it. If I tell my dad, this is what you're going to do, he's that straighten up fly right military, chain of command. You know, my house, I'm the leader, chain of command. You know, so each one of them requires a different skill. But I think the more you steer the conversation away from the negatives, because you know, elderly people get on that negative train, friends are dead, plant is dead, my hip hurts, like all those things create an environment of negativity. Mm-hmm. And I know it sounds ridiculous to say, hey, what are the positives to taking your car away? <laughs> no, that's a hard one. It is. It is. But as you have already said, you found things that are positive about the economics yep. and about the ease of transportation. The only thing I would caution about um, as we delve into you know, a situation where we have to make changes um, is and I found this hard for myself because I just wanted it to happen really quickly. Yes. And I would lay out a plan and I might fudge the truth a little bit there. Mm-hmm. Smoothing and, it. <laughs> Smooth <laughs> like, it. well, why are we doing this? Oh, because I think that you'll like the light in the downstairs bedroom so much better or something like that. I think if someone asks you a direct question, the best probable way to go is to just straight out tell the truth. Right, right. And that's, and yeah. Yeah, and because you, you, you don't leave the conversation with an icky feeling and, and you have been respectful to your parent. Mm-hmm. Right, and you don't have to lie, but you don't have to tell the bald, you know, painful truth either. There's like a middle ground in there because the fact that matter, yeah, right. Is my kids are cleaning out their rooms. We are doing a bunch of changes. I am changing things in the house and I'm literally going to move the furniture around. And yeah, would I do it if I wasn't moving my dad downstairs? No, 
Mm-hmm. But will I do it because it makes it for everyone? Yes. So that's an inclusive move. And when you get into the discussion of finances, um, that's another really sticky wicket for how, what right do you have to tell your parent how to spend their money? The first answer is always, because if they go broke, they'll be in my living room. Right. Right. Yeah. Sometimes that doesn't work, but it's a good, (laughs) it's a good try. I'm, you know, I think there's a, and Leslie has personal experience with this, but I just hear so many stories, which means we're just scratching the surface of so many, um, mostly older males giving money to their caregivers, their young female caregivers. Oh yeah. And that can be really tough to handle because on the one hand, do they have the right to give their money to somebody that they want? Legally, they have capacity. Right. But I mean, if obviously if the caregiver is working for an agency, that would be against policy. But if they're not, if they're privately hired, yes. Well, and where does the line go? Like with my grandmother to jewelry, silverware, right? Yes. And expensive handbags. Like, and unfortunately, even if they are with an agency or they are with, uh, I I've known someone who was living in an assisted living and he would tell his wife when she visited, Oh, that young lady, she's just so smart and wonderful, and she's getting ready to go to college. Oh, the same story. And the next thing the wife knows, she happens to look at the bank account, and there is a check for $14,000 to this young woman who was working at the um, assisted living. living. So she was an employee. She was an employee, which I'm sure is against the rules. Oh, But they weren't aware. Yeah. And how, and unless somebody was watching the accounts, I'm sure this goes on without notice all the time. time. All the time. All the time. And then you can't really blame the, the, the parent or the patient because here's this nice person making them lunch, taking them there. And, you know, <clears throat> we as people are reciprocity. If we weren't, real estate agent wouldn't leave notepads and pens on your stoop every, you know, it's designed to create that reciprocity. So you have an elderly parent who's spending all their time alone unless you can come and visit them. And here's this caregiver Oh, hey, she's here eight hours a day. Hey, this traveling nurse comes to visit me every Friday. Isn't she grand? So the big question is, what do you do? And Mm -hmm. can you prevent it? And, you know, I mean, I think you can make a a referral to Adult Protective Services, but they're going to come interview the person, and the person's going to say, I'm doing this willingly. This Mm -hmm. is what I want to do with my money. Exactly. So what then? Well, I think you just hit on something, Amanda. I think the prevention part of it, again, we have to be proactive with our parents. Mm -hmm. We have to set up power of attorney with our parents Mm -hmm. and have a realistic conversation and say, look, I know in your right mind, you would never give some young person that you hardly know a big sum of money. But how about Now we can use some technology with online banking to give me an alert if there is any check or withdrawal that's greater than $200 right? or something like that. And to most of our parents who have scrimped Mm -hmm. and saved and are very frugal, that's going to sound like $200, make it 25, you know, they're going to be right right on with that plan. And so if then something were to happen again, it's not something that we think, oh, everybody should know how to do this. We're just saying, this is a good idea. You should be thinking ahead if you can. But also when your parents are under care like this, there's a lot of meds involved. So to have the conversation that say, look, I know you would never do this, but what happens if you've got a backache or something and the doctor gives you some medication and you're for that couple hours, you're not you know, where you normally would be, no one would be, I'd be the same way. 
and you know, somebody talks you into giving them your money. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, Leslie is absolutely right. You, you just have to set these things up before you think you'll need it. Right. Before it's too late. And that does mean financial power of attorney, healthcare power of attorney, you know, set up a trust if you can, you know, where you're the co-trustee, if you need to be, if you need to step in, it's easy to get access to those accounts. Because if you don't do that, it can be an absolute nightmare. Right. Try and to sort all that out because you don't have any authority. Right. You have no authority to talk to the bank or to make any decisions or to stop the payments. Right. And setting up your parent with a controlled bank account. You know, put your money into this account that, you know, you ha we have to structure it away. And then they have their kind of disposable income account. So if they want to give somebody 25 bucks, go ahead. But they're not going to give their life savings away. Right. And, and it's, it's a little dangerous to make an analogy between old age and childhood or adolescence. But in fact what we're taught that suggestion about a controlled bank account is similar to what you would do with your teenager sure. who's just gotten a job. You can oversee what their account is while they're gaining their skills with their money so that you know that they're making responsible decisions or that they're not being taken advantage of. It's how you put it to your elder parent so that you can maintain that sense of respect, but say it's a big, bad world out there. And, and we as a family, as a team, we're going to work on protecting you and your assets. Right. Well, it's like last year or the year before, my younger son heard my dad talking on the phone and he's like, mom, he says, grandpa's talking on the phone. And he's like, they're asking him all this stuff about money. And I had told my kids, if you hear grandpa talk about money, if you, you know, cause eyes and ears and I came out and yes, my father was the victim of fraud because of it. They said they were like bank of America or visa card calling that there were all these charges. Could they give your social security number? He divulged all this stuff. And you know, I got his wallet. I called the credit card companies immediately. And you know me, I'm Johnny on the spot, drop everything, go. $5,000 had already been charged to his cards. Wow. So it happened, you know, and thank God since I called them and I said, look, this is what happened. This is the call. This is the thing. They canceled all the cards immediately, but they had gotten through two cards while the guy's on the phone with them. Somebody else is dialing that card. And I think, yeah. I think sharing, not to scare your parents, but sharing with them, showing them stuff on the internet, showing these scams, even the best and brightest. My company got scammed. Somebody mm -hmm. bought all this nail stuff for fingernails and shipped it to Seattle and then bought electrical parts, which is really funny because I would never buy electrical parts and I chew my fingernails. <laughs> so I told the bank guy, I'm like the card guy, I'm like, I will send you a picture of my fingernails. There is no acrylic and they were all, you know, tons of stuff. You know, like $1,300 in one order off of Amazon. Wow. Oh, my and goodness. And I said, it's shipped to Seattle. I live in Los Angeles. You know, so it's pretty obvious. Yeah. But here I am, owner of a tech company, defrauded of, it turned out to be a total of $15,000 on my company credit cards. It messed up my credit for eight months oh. because... In the interim of determining the fraud, late charge, late charge, late charge. Oh. And it was all cleared up after eight months, but I had to sit down and line item every charge I made, authorized what I was, because I spend about 1500 on that credit card each month for business, and they're all small. They're all like $38. They're ads for Facebook. You know, they're LinkedIn ads, you know, all these little things. And in between there was all the fraud. So who had to sit down for hours upon hours, then get on the phone with the credit card companies, which everybody knows you cannot call in and get somebody right away. And then you got to go to the fraud department and the fraud department has to send you here and you go three hours are gone out of your business day. So if this can happen to me, you know, a 40, 50 something tech person. Right. 
that's got to tell you. And these are the kind of conversations you don't want to scare your parents. But when that happened to my dad, I'm like, dad, you can't ever answer these things. He got scammed in his email. Another one. Yeah. yeah. It looked like, you know, we've all. Oh, yeah. That. Oh, yeah. It's relentless. And, you know, the client I referred to earlier who shouldn't be driving. Well, he lives alone. He's a former uh, university professor. He's lived alone for a long time, been divorced. He is extremely tight with money. He doesn't want to let go of any money to hire a private caregiver and he really needs the help. But if somebody shows up at the front door, you know, with a new thing they're selling, he's bought three different security systems. You know, he cancels one and gets the other one. His phone is, he's being constantly hounded, you know, by scammers on the phone. Finally, his daughter was able to intervene there. So you have to ask yourself, what is it? And I think a lot of it is just loneliness. Absolutely. You know? It's loneliness. It's attention. Yes. It's value. I'm still someone. I'm still seen. Somebody sees me. Somebody wants to talk to me. And I can still make decisions. Yep. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, because, I mean, here's somebody who doesn't want to part with his money. But he's right. parting with his money. Right. So it's just, it's so interesting to see that dichotomy. Well, it's not um, logical. And anybody yeah. who's gone through a divorce or gone through, you know, a death has been ripped off because right. you're grieving. You know, emotions do cloud our judgment. And, you know, whether it's hard to know, and this is the thing, I don't want everybody to always assume that it's due to age. Right. Because it's easy to look at somebody and go, you're 88, you know, it's because you're old. And that's the go-to default for everybody. But a lot of these conditions happen because someone is sick. So whether you're sick at 80 or 30, the same things are going to happen. And so I always like to, when dealing with my dad, steer away from the age-ism, the age Mm -hmm. conversation. You know, like when the the bank fraud and the, the credit card fraud happened, you know, on the internet with American Express... And then with the other card company, Visa, I think it was, he's like, well, I just got ripped off because I'm old. And I said, no. I said, you got ripped off because everybody gets ripped off. Right. Yeah, it's very true. And, you know, lately I've gotten a couple of calls from the Social Security Administration um, asking me to call them because there's a problem with my something, my Social Security number. And I thought, why are they calling me? And I thought, oh, it's because of my age. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But it's probably a scammer. It probably isn't even the social security administration doesn't call. They don't have enough staff to call. call. Well, it's like every once in a while, I'll get something about, you know, we can help you with your student loans. And I'm like, I've been in a student loan in 28 years. And, but it sounds real. It sounds so real. These people, this is an industry. They're not doing it because they're just trying. They're doing it because they make a ton of money. Right, they're professionals. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds incredibly slick and incredibly convincing. And you are absolutely right. Any of us can be scammed. Anybody. You know, and that's why I think the money conversation is best to have the conversation and keep steering it away from ageism to to have Mm -hmm. anything to do Mm -hmm. with your age. You know, if you gave me, you know, whatever, what do they give you like Ambien or something and a couple other things? Right. Or Percocet. I've seen so many people get. Oh my God. I'd be topless running down the street. (laughs) You know, it doesn't have anything to do with that. It's it's under the influence of a drug. And if you're in a care facility, those things can happen. And it's a much more palatable thing, I think, for a parent to go, we're working with you. We're looking out for you because, you know, there's side effects to the drugs. There's things that could happen. You could be ill or sick, you know, so we're going to put these provisions in place to protect you. And you would do the same thing for me. That is if, a great way to frame yeah, it. Yeah, I think that's a very good way to frame it because, you know, the financial control and independence is on par with the cars, you yeah. know, with the driving. It's the same level of, I mean, I know families that, I mean, mom or dad will not divulge any financial yeah. information at all. So I think your approach is really good. I mean, I think you just have to try and realize you know, we're not taking anything away, you know. We're here to partner with you. We're here to um, to give to you have, financial freedom. To yes, to give, give you financial you the freedom. Peace exactly. Of mind that you're taken care of. Like 
you know, that's the whole thing about going to that positive. I'm not being Pollyanna. But when I say to you, you know what, I think it's time for you to switch from maintaining and taking care and having the expense of your own car to switching to X, Y, or Z. Mm-hmm. Well, no, I don't want to do that. Well, why do you want to sit there watching Matlock and spend $300 a month? Because that's what you're doing. That's what you're doing with your insurance. That's what you're doing with your whatever, blah, blah, blah. The car needs X, Y, and Z. Hey, let me show you this cool thing that the younger adults are doing. Right. Yes. Oh, so wait a minute. Now I'm cool. Now I'm doing, now, I'm not saying that all that works all the time. <laughs> right. Yeah. But you got a better shot yeah. at coming in with the solution first and then minimize the negative emotional reactions mm-hmm. from saying, look, dad, I love you. You can't see, you can't drive. I'm taking your keys. Right. Okay, you think they're going to be like, thanks, honey. I love you. <laughs> right. Right. It's, it's such a, a, a big change for anyone. If anyone were to do this to us and uh, Amanda and I were talking about, I, I have a, you know, there are lots of people at different stages and physical changes. They might be temporary, but now at least I can say, well, you could use Uber instead of putting yourself in that dangerous situation. You know, it, it, a moving car can be a lethal weapon. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and it's also a huge expense. And especially like, you know, when I look at my one friend that I'm helping with her mom because her husband died, I'm like, keep hammering what a pain in the ass that car is. <laughs> like it always needs something. Like start, you know, laying right. the groundwork ahead of time. Like, oh, look how expensive it is. Why don't you send an Uber over? Now she doesn't need it right now. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the less expense, more convenience, Because honestly, if we didn't have to run kids around all the time, I look at my friends in New York City, nobody owns a car. Mm -hmm. How great. No car payment, no insurance payment. Nobody's sitting there for nine hours while they replace your airbag that defaulted, even though you paid 50,000 for a car. You know, all these things. No parking. Oh, parking is such a pain. You know, and I have to give my parents both a lot of credit because they both voluntarily stopped driving. Nice. And my dad was always a bad driver, but as he always said, (laughs) he always said whenever we would say, Dad, you need to stop driving, I've never had an accident. Right. he never had. He is the worst driver and he never had an accident. Right. So then don't start now. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Fortunately, he stopped before that happened. Yeah, right. In a perfect world, we would. And quite frankly... If you have an ornery cuss of a parent, you know, I had relatives like that. I was lucky to grow up in a household where we brought our crazy and our old and our sick and infirm right in the house and put them in the living room. (laughs) But the great part of that is you realize some things are the natural part of aging. Crankiness can be a natural part. Mm -hmm. You know, people lose independence. They don't feel good. All these things. The thing is, you can't take everything personally either. And this is a big one for me, like having a big family and siblings. And my dad lives with me nine months, 10 months out of the year. And then he lives on his own or assisted with my brother and sister for the rest of the months. And, you know, when it's warm weather back east. So I used to take everything really personal because I'm the baby girl. What the hell do I know? Like, who's going to listen to me in the family dynamic, truly? But then I got up one morning and I thought, you know what? Everyone. Everyone will listen to me unless you're willing to take dad for nine months. So when you tell me to take him for walks in the park, are you making sure his blood sugar is tested? Are you doing any of this stuff? Hey, you know what? Those are all great ideas. Get your ass on a plane. Get over here. (laughs) You're welcome to visit and stay and do the work. Right. Because if you're going to sit there, because that does happen. The, the, The kid that's the caregiver gets the advice from everyone. Mm-hmm. Yes. And well, um, my cousin said to me recently, he said, in every family, it's like there's a bullseye on the back of one of the adult yep. children. And I just thought, and he said, and Leslie, you're it. Yep. <laughs> That's because you're the primary caregiver, Leslie. Right. Even from a distance. Even from a distance. Yeah. So the bullseye is on your back. Yeah. That's very true. Well, and they know that you'll do it. Mm-hmm. 
you know, they'll know, you know, they know I'll do it. I mean, it's not, it's no, you know, no mistake, but I think a lot of it is sometimes people give well-meaning advice. So you just say, thank you for your input. I'll look into it. It doesn't mean they think you're stupid. It doesn't mean they think you're inept. It's just all they can offer you. Right. And, and, and they feel like they're contributing something and it's a way of showing that they care. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it can be really annoying though. Or totally rude. <laughs> like, what do you think? Like I have an IQ of a nap? Like, of course I've done that. I've been taking care of my dad for eight years. Like, right. Yeah, we did that in the first month. <laughs> right. But you can't do that because you don't want to hurt people's feelings and right. their intentions are well. And so I always like to go and turn it back on them. You know, like when people say, oh, gee, does your dad not get out of the house anymore? Why? Do you want to come take him on a trip? <laughs> you know, because you have, you have to laugh with this stuff, truly. Yes, yeah, you do. Because it's really sad. It's really sad to watch your mother or father who were vibrant in their careers, mm-hmm. powerful and loving in their family, becoming afraid and not being able to figure out the microwave. Yeah, there is yeah. nothing more heartbreaking. It's very true. Very true. You know? And sometimes it's just that sort of slow, kind of slow, slowly not being able to do things, like the simple things. And it is. It is heartbreaking. Or remember things. Like, you know, especially, you know, the, the, the memory things. And I think this, you know, I've noticed, like, with my dad, because I'm kind of, you know, OCD myself and I do track things. I noticed that if we have a bad nutrition day, meaning if he's eaten a bunch of junk, if he hasn't eaten or doesn't feel like eating, along with that comes some cognitive disarray. Like there's maybe a little bit of confusion. We can't work the remote control, you know, all these things. And then towards the later afternoon is probably some crankiness. Mm-hmm. So if you watch for these signs and I, you know, I know it's not good to say like old people are like toddlers or babies, but honest to God, I'm caring for both at the same time. If the baby is crabby, is it cold? Is it hot? Is it wet? Is it hungry? Is it the same thing applies to your elderly parent? Because some of them are hot, especially they don't recognize that they're hot. Right. Their mm-hmm. thermodynamics change in yes. the body sensitivity and awareness of temperature is off for many. Yep. And they're sitting there telling me why they're uncomfortable and they're sweating. And I'm like, it's 87 out. You don't say this, but it's 87 out. And they have put on flannel pajama pants and a t-shirt. Cause maybe it was cold at four 30 in the morning when they got up. Cause they go to bed at four 30 in the afternoon. <laughs> But at 3.30, it's 85. So they're sitting there in a sweater and maybe sometimes even a blanket over their knees because that's what they're used to doing. Right. And And that thermal regulation is off. As you pointed out, a lot of older people are on medications that also play into that desensitizing of uh, body awareness, body changes, environmental Taste around them. Yeah. Taste. Some of these medications affect their taste. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And people get tired, you know, early in the day. My parents are like that. We, we do better if we have lunch with them than we have, than having dinner because they can't last. I Mm -hmm. mean, they just, they just get tired. Right. They're just not as sharp, you know? So we try to be with them when they're, when they're feeling more energetic and they're feeling sharper. And that's typically in the middle of the day. If we yep, can and if you're caring for an elderly person, like I do, I make my dad's dinner at 1130 in the morning because mm-hmm. he gets up at 430 or 330 or 230. If he sleeps the whole night through, because sleeping is a big issue for the mm-hmm. elderly and then he'll nap, but he'll have his main meal at 1130. And, you know, by 430, he's getting sleepy by seven, 630. He's out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's okay. You know, yeah. that's perfectly normal for different parts of aging. And we need to accept that. I have seen some families who are, you know, on a crusade to say, well, dad needs to go back out and play tennis or something. You know, it's like, well, well, my mom used to give my dad schnapps because <laughs> it would make him kind of sleepy at the right time. And she, she was always trying to move that clock around. And then I realized after seven years, you know, my mom's been dead eight of caring for my dad. That's the elderly body clock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
for most of them. I'm not saying every single person is the same way, but by and large, there's a reason why the 4.30 dinner special for seniors exists. Right, right. Yeah, it's very true. You know, but I think, you know, the most important thing that I take away from all of this, and this is why I'm so thankful, you know, Leslie and Amanda, that you're here today, is because when we talk about this stuff and we hear Leslie's story or we hear Amanda share stories or I share my stories, we laugh, we nod, we understand, and we realize that a lot of this stuff just is. It's not good or bad. It just is. You know, these are the things you're going to be faced with at some point. They're not great, but you know what? We're going to be there someday too. And this is what I said to my one brother and sister when they were really short with my dad. They were frustrated because they're not used to having him around. So he's doddering around and losing things and dropping things and, you know, worse than he did when he was, you know, our dad. (laughs) But, you know, he was really snappy with them. And I said, hey, you know, you need to treat him the way you want to be treated when you're in that point. And I think that's a really good meter because the one thing, unless you die early, we're all going to get there. Yeah, Mm -hmm. very true. You know? So thinking how you want to be treated and in fellowship and understanding. And now you guys have a book that's available. Tell me about the book and where can we get it? Um, it's a book about hiring and managing caregivers at home. And you can get it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble online. It's available on Kindle. Right. And the good thing about the book is, especially those of you who are just starting to deal with, okay, there's some changes here. Many. In fact, most polls show that older adults want to stay at home. So this book will give you some ideas mm-hmm. to start with and how to adjust to that reality. Yeah. You know, and here's the thing. I am a single mom with two kids. I soul supporting. I chose to take my dad in. Seven years later, best thing I ever did. Mm-hmm. So don't say no just because people say you can't do it or you shouldn't do it. You try it, doesn't work. Whatever works for you, you got to give yourself permission and work with your person that you're taking care of. And if you can't work with them, there's your answer. But don't just say no. People all the time say to me, I can never do what you do. I'm like, that's really sad because you're going to miss out on some really great times. Yeah. Is it challenging? Sure. And Sandra, I just want to applaud you for what you're doing. And I think that you made a very important point there. We all have to try something. Something. And it may not, it may turn out to be the wrong choice. But right. we ha- even with aging parents, we can be flexible. Mm-hmm. It might be hard on them to make some changes, but what you're doing, and I love the setup with your father spending the the most part of the year with you and your sons, he gets to be so much a part of that multi-generation experience, which is so rare in this country now. It is. And, and also to share his time with his other children. That's just beautiful. It is. And it does require effort and coordination and, you know, patience and, you know, but at the end of the day, I had to really look down deep and go, what can I live with? Mm-hmm. And I'm not a really good person to leverage. So to me, putting them in a home, and that may come at some point, you know, mm-hmm. these things are all fluid. These are they fluid. Are. It, good thinking. You know, but at least I know I did what I felt was best. And I will tell you, when I said to everybody, yeah, I'm going to bring my dad in, and I don't think, I can't even think of one person who said, that's a good idea. Mm. Wow. Everybody said, (laughs) but they said, you're crazy. You're this, you're that. And my point is not that I'm this great person, but in the face of everybody telling me I was crazy, I did in my heart what I thought was right for me. Mm -hmm. So if that means for you to put your parent in a home, to put a caregiver in there, to send them off to Timbuktu, like (laughs) whatever it is, you have to live with your decision. And that I think is the thing that I want people to take away from today is we all have choices and we all have influences, but you have to get quiet and think about if you're the one in charge, which I feel I am, what is the best decision that I can make at this time? 
and know that I can change it. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. That's it. That's fair. Now you guys want to do a call out for some stories. Tell me about that. So um, if you visit our page on Facebook, mindfulaging.com, we're looking for people who are trying alternative situations for living as a senior. And this might mean like what Sandra is doing, living with a multi-generation situation, your kids, yourself, your elder family member, or you're an elder person who is trying something different, living with non-relatives, going back to having roommates, sort of a golden girls kind of situation. Amanda and I are really excited to see what people are doing around the country and we are writing a book. So we would love to gather stories and be able to get ideas from people. And of course, um, we would just be very excited. So you can reach us on Facebook or through mindfulaging.com. Terrific, terrific. Well, Amanda, Leslie, thank you for your time today. It's been super fun. I enjoy you guys so much and I can't wait for our next show. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you. We'll see you again next week. Thanks for being with us today on Motherhood Talk Radio, starring Sandra Beck. Join us again. We've got something you won't want to miss. Motherhood Talk Radio is a production of Beck Multimedia. Multimedia.